Career Disruptors is the podcast for senior managers who are not afraid to challenge the status quo, who challenge assumptions and who push the boundaries and love shattering conventional wisdom. I'm coach Caroline DeKimper, empowering professionals to build a personal brand that gives them the confidence they need to go after the career they want and deserve. Today on the show, we have Natasha Hawker, and Natasha's going to talk to us about how to build employee assets and not liabilities. Now, Natasha is a director of Employee Matters. She's also a speaker and author. With over 25 years experience, she is an expert in employment relations, recruitment, performance management, terminations, and mediation. Natasha is routinely featured in the Sydney Morning Herald, ABC Radio, and the Huffington Post, and she's a regular writer for Flying Solo and her business network. She has an impressive background, and we are honored to have her on the show. Welcome, Natasha. Ah, it's great to be here, Caroline. Thanks for having me. No worries. Now, before we dive in, I would love to find out your background story. Why are you so interested in this topic? Yeah, it's interesting. If I go way back, my career actually started in banking and finance, working in dealing rooms, and everyone used to say, I think you'd be really good at personnel management, which was what it was called way back then. And, um, and then I thought, so I thought there must be something in this. So I started studying part-time, as you do, just yeah. to make sure I liked it. And then I started to make my break. And the funny thing was, as often happens with people in their careers, I had two years uh, education background, but no one would take me as a HR person. So I became a recruiter in an agency and I did that for a while. And funnily enough, that's how I learned how not to run a business. But those <laughs> skills, I have to say, have come back to me a lot because... Um, when I started my business, as you know, Caroline, you have no clients. So I had to cold call. Yeah. And, uh, and the skills that I got in the recruitment agency came back to me absolutely to do that. But, uh, you know, I think for me, it's around being incredibly passionate about people. I've always loved working with people and, and the stuff that other people find hard, yeah. I find really easy. Yeah. And so then my career started probably now 25 years ago. Uh, it, it, the journey's been for me and um, I still love it as much as I did way back then. That is brilliant. So tell me, how did the t- transition actually go? So you started in recruitment in an agency and coming from that background, I know it's like cutthroat mm-hmm. and really, like really intense. So how did you go to really deepen in HR and in employee uh, employee relations. Yeah, so um, so when I left banking and finance, I got a job, as I said, with a recruitment agency. And what I will say about them was they had excellent training. You know, they did a lot of training in-house about how do you make a cold call, how do you do an interview. So that was really valuable. Uh, but it was, you're absolutely right, Caroline, it was incredibly cutthroat. As in, we used to run a book on how long the latest person that joined us would last. And we'd run... <laughs> And, you know, it could be as short as a week or two weeks or three weeks. Uh, But what I realised very quickly was whilst I found the cold calling really uncomfortable and I didn't like it and I I didn't think I was good at sales, uh, what I did know is when I got a client, I had them for life. I was really good at building relationships and I was very good at follow-up and I did what I said I was going to do and I had good values. And so I actually ended up staying for three years. 
and I made great money. Uh, and that's uh, interestingly that made it hard to leave because yeah. then I um, actually went to try and get a job, um, my next job in HR, like was was always my plan. And I had to have take a massive pay cut, yeah. but I did it because I knew that the end game was I wanted to be a HR generalist, not a recruiter. Yeah. Um, and I and I was getting bored. It was very similar, very samey. And I wanted to broaden my skills. And so I, I then got a lucky break and joined a, a, a global management consulting firm and then very quickly went back to study again. So this time I went off to university uh, part-time and studied a post-grad in employment relations. So then my career sort of took off from there. Yeah, perfect. So if you if you look at it, the transition that you made, um, did it confirm your 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 interest? Because often I see if you come from recruitment in, into HR, it's a whole different world. And even though recruitment is a part of it, sometimes it can open your eyes that you have like so many different aspects. Like you have your 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 policies, your onboarding, you you have like the enge- the employee engagement that you have to uh, have to look after. So there's so many moving moving parts. So what was it from from all that? spectrum that uh, that interested you the, the most at that stage? Yeah, I, I mean, I really think I got my lucky break when I got to join that management consulting firm. And actually, funny story, a girlfriend of mine actually saw the ad in the paper. I didn't see the ad. And she's one of those girls that gets feelings. Yeah. And she said, Natasha, you have to go for this role. So uh, multiple, I think it was five or five interviews later, I had the job and I was on a plane to Brisbane. And the funny thing was, Caroline, and this shows you how that whole fake it till you make it. Because that I'd been working in recruitment, we didn't have actually computers. Everything was done manually. This oh. is showing you how old it was. <laughs> so I then went into this top global management consulting firm and they had technology like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. And I hadn't touched a computer for three years. And trying to get something to print, I would be there till 7.30 at night trying to work it out. How I survived and stayed in the role, I must have been a quick learner, I don't know. But um, what I found was, and why it was my lucky break, was I found out what I believe and still use today was HR best practice. Mm -hmm. And now I apply it in a way that makes commercial sense to small to medium businesses. And what I loved was the variety and what I loved was the people piece. So it was around, you know, it was, a. I went in initially in a recruitment role and then I moved into the generalist role and I loved the talking to people and trying to work through difficult situations. And, you know, when they'd miss out on a promotion and, and, you know, I, I then transferred to London and unfortunately I was involved in making 50 people redundant very quickly after September 11th. Yeah. And what I realised was that whilst that's incredibly challenging, I had a gift, I was good at it. And, mm. and I was very surprised at how often very senior people in businesses were dreadful at it. They really struggled. And so I was able to help them do it better and help the individual who was going through the process as well. And I really enjoyed you know, uh, making that process easier for all people that were involved. Yeah. So when you talk about HR best practice, like what in, in your words, what does that look like? Because a lot of people will say like, oh, that's best practice. But it's it's so difficult to sometimes understand what is the real best, best practice and yeah. what, what do you need to look for? Yeah. Look, I think one of the things, and this is something I've been working on for a long time, you know, people used to say very much that HR, it wasn't really valued. We were known as the policy police or soft and fluffy. There was no real uh, 
a detail and understanding of what we did. So I developed something called uh, an employee asset model and that has started to help people understand it. But for me, best practice is really around doing stuff well, doing all the little things well and understanding the bigger picture. So what I mean by that is, for example, most people never learn how to recruit particularly well. They're never taught how to interview. They yeah. go in there, they might have copied a previous manager or they've Googled it and they really, they go, yeah, I know how to do a behavioural interview, but they really don't. Yeah. Um, and then obviously they often get, you know, they reap what they sow. They get a, a, a person that they shouldn't have really hired. The next thing is they, t they skip and they uh, leave out bits. So I've seen this even in the corporate world where orientation and onboarding is not done well. Oh, so Your employees are at the greatest risk of resignation in that first six months that you hire them. But even at the flip side, I can remember one of the organisations I did a contract for didn't do exit interviews. And there were people bleeding from this organisation and I was like, why aren't we capturing what the trends are here and using that information to make better decisions. Um, and so for me, best practice is a lot around data and analytics. So I developed a tool called Employee Metrics, which actually assesses a business for its current levels of HR compliance, risk and best practice. So we need to understand what we're doing and make sure that we are continually doing continuous improvement. You know, how can we make this process better? How can we make sure that our managers know how to hire, manage and exit? Most business owners and most managers have never been taught those three simple things. No. And they're not simple, but if they just knew how to do that, that's part of being a manager and unfortunately they've not been skilled in that area. I think it's like um, um, a combination or I believe the reason why they don't put high importance maybe on it is because they have such a high pressure already to achieve their targets and to achieve results within their area of expertise and they don't know the importance of having the right people on board in the first place and then uh, really giving them a solid onboarding because if I speak to all of my clients practically uh, and ask them, about their onboarding and we go through in the beginning we do career mapping which is an exercise where we go through all the jobs and basically understand okay what was your experience in that opportunity like and most of the time they say they, they didn't really had a, a decent onboarding mm. so many people even said like oh yeah my computer wasn't ready and my password wasn't mm. ready and it's like so common and you think like oh my god this is like a massive transition in an employee's life like to join a new company they feel vulnerable and uncertain they like the least you can do is to, to give them a solid onboarding to, to well, make sure they're welcome <laughs> absolutely I mean you think about it I, I can remember a similar example where there was a senior manager who came in who at the time was probably being paid somewhere between 150 and 180 who hmm. didn't have a computer or a laptop for six weeks yeah you know you are just making that person uh, completely non-productive yeah. and I think most businesses uh, and managers don't realize the true cost of hiring and and it costs between 50 and 150 percent of the base salary every time you hire 50 percent at the more junior end so the average salary in Australia is about 65k and at the senior end if we're talking CEO and C-suite it's 150 percent it takes them a long time to really make an impact 
Yeah. And so that's very expensive. Even at that 65K, you're all in costs, all in costs, which is time to hire, recruitment costs, you know, how long it takes to train up the employee, the time for the employee to get fully productive in their role. That's about $32,500. That's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. And businesses don't realise that. So then if they have an attrition problem and they're losing people or bleeding people very quickly, then that starts to get very expensive very quickly. Yeah, that it's all the indirect cost, isn't it? Mm. But the, the cost that they can see is like when they go to a recruitment agency, it's like, oh yeah, it costs so many because so much because like they see the 20, 25K that they have to pay upfront, but actually they don't understand that their own actions also can lead to a much, much higher uh, cost in, 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 in total because they didn't do the uh, proper onboarding or they didn't provide the proper, proper training, basically, or they didn't recruit or interview well in the first place. So um, you were talking about an uh, asset model. So tell me more about that. What do you mean by that and how does that work for an organization? Yeah, so one of my uh, big goals is actually to let banks lend you money on the value of your employee asset. And if we think about it, Carolyn, we, what we, banks lend money based on machinery and plants and equipment, yeah. but often most businesses biggest expense is their employees if it's not the biggest it's the second biggest yeah. and and we do nothing on that space yeah. so you think about google the the massive attraction and valuation of google for me is a, the brains trust that sits inside of that yeah. so what we've done is come up with what we call an employee asset model and essentially essentially it's nine uh, steps to build employee assets and a great way to think about it and I would encourage your listeners to actually do one step forward and actually assess themselves out of 10 with one being poor and 10 being exceptional how well they think they do this in their business or that their business does it so the nine steps are higher how do you hire the best employees that you can afford yeah. manage how do you manage them to optimize their performance mm -hmm. measure how do you, do you uh, measure your return on investment? And that's what we believe builds a high-performance business. Yeah. The next level is around training. Uh, so the next step is training. How do you train your people to uh, basically um, make sure that they're great in their job, but also that you're doing stuff like appropriate workplace training and all of that sort of thing. The next level is engagement. My favourite, you know, engagement is the measure of discretionary effort. Do you have a highly motivated team? Yeah. And then the last one is around workplace health and safety. That These three components help you build a great culture. Yeah. And then the last three steps are assess. Are you compliant with your workplace uh, obligations? Um, policy, do you have the right policies in place? And lastly, exit. Do you exit both your non-performers so you're not going to get um, uh, sued, ideally, and also your performers that you might like to get back? And that helps you manage risk in your business. Yeah. So that's what we see as the nine steps to building employee assets. Oh, and, and what do you see is the most common one that, it, or the, the three most common ones that are just completely like uh, <laughs> not in order? Not done at all. Yeah. Measure is absolutely fundamentally a big issue. So yeah. uh, an example being most people don't know how important it is to have a highly engaged or highly motivated workplace. And essentially what it what I mean by that is to have a disengaged or not engaged employee, they now know costs you 34% of their salary. 
So if George is there and he's either actively working against you or he's just not doing anything, it's 34% of his salary on a yearly basis is what it costs the business for that not to happen. And I actually think big end of town still struggle to really get their head around this. Mm. The next one I would suggest is still around um, assessing their risk. So um, modern award is complex. We've just seen a whole lot of stuff happen. It's almost every day there's an audit being conducted on uh, a business where they're not paying the correct wages and entitlements. Businesses lack compliance in that area. They need to make sure that they're doing the right thing under their award and that they're compliant. I think a lot of people still think, Caroline, that you know, uh, as long as I pay above the award, everything's okay. But that's yeah. not the case. You still have to, for example, consult on major workplace change. And that might be we're moving offices or we're going through a redundancy period and there's a certain process you need to follow. And then the other one I would have to say is around that, in, um, you know, that engagement piece. Yeah. You know, it, it, if you are have a team that are engaged 75% and above, um, Harvard Business did a whole lot of surveys on this and, and study around this. You get 75, in the 75th percentile and above, you get 21% more productivity and 20% more profitability. Yeah. Now, I would say most businesses would like some of that, yeah. uh, but we don't think about that. We don't think about how can we make our team happier? How do we build a flexible workplace? You and I were talking offline. You know, flexibility is the number one attractor yeah. of business of employees or candidates to a client and you know big end of town are still struggling we do a bit of job share and we think we've got it covered we haven't we need to make the workplace a <laughs> lot, lot more about output and less about bottoms on seats why do you think that people are so reluctant to change that like leaders and companies Trust. 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 So I, an example personally in my business, uh, I have on two pages uh, our vision uh, traction, which is an EOS thing, Entrepreneurial Operating System by a guy called Gino Whitman. So on two pages, I have my one-year strategy, three-year, 10-year. I've got my exit price. I've mm-hmm. got what our vision is, what our mission is, what we're focused on over the next couple of years. And my whole team have that. Yeah. So, uh, and so I'm enormously transparent with my team and that builds trust and it builds engagement. Most businesses would not give that information freely. In fact, we we don't give our we very rarely give any sort of information of detail or confidential nature to our employees. And you know, you might argue someone might take advantage of that. Probably maybe over time one or two people might, but the lift I get for being so transparent and communicating very effectively with my team is our engagement levels and we measure them every month sit at 88%. Yeah. month on month yeah. and a big part of that is around trust and um you know authenticity and telling it like it is yeah so and because a lot of leaders that i would uh would talk to they have this own perception <laughs> that they're very transparent and that they often look for only results and they're not getting that so there is often that what i see is a disconnect between how the perception of the leader is the, their self-perception and how the employees see that leader so how do you how do you break that how do you get that friction away how do you close yeah. that gap basically I think, you know, a lot of it is preempted by the environment. You know, there's lots of rules and structures in our larger organisations. But 
still relationships and trust are important. So I think the best thing is to take it back to basics and build trust and relationships. You know, actually care about what your team do on the weekend. Actually share a little bit about what you do. I actually share when I stuff up. You know, I did something the other week which made my team laugh and and I was cutting and pasting something, individual cells in Excel, and the team went to me, you don't need to do that. You could have copied and pasted the whole lot. And I'm like, there is a reason why I'm in HR and not IT. But <laughs> I share that and I go, well, I've learned something. I won't do yeah. that again. And so I make myself vulnerable. I don't believe I know it all. And I often say when I go out to clients, I'll say to them, my team are infinitely better than this or not what I am. You actually don't want me on your job. Yeah. You actually yeah. want my team. And, and when people see their leaders being authentic and acting in that way, it builds trust, it builds credibility, it builds the fact that those people will go further and farther for you because, and it's reciprocated, you know, that both sides of the, the relationship are happy to do that. It is, it is so interesting that you say that because I'm, I'm just reflecting back on leaders that I worked with and then so uh, we did a 360 and so they, uh, they become aware that they need to build and increase their engagement and build that trust, like you say. And then so the pitfall that I see that they fall into is that they start a process, but then they go back to old habits mm. quite quickly because they give up and don't see that it works. Uh, have you experienced that also, that, that you see that people just like revert back to being uh, not maybe a micromanager, but being more like isolated, not transparent because they say, you see, it didn't work and have all these preconceptions. Mm. It's funny you should say that because I've just started meditation and I've been doing it for about six weeks now. And the classic example is when someone says, I meditated once or twice and it didn't work for me. It doesn't work (laughs) like that. I'm a great believer in what doesn't get measured doesn't get done. So I have had nine and they have varied over the years, KPIs, which I hold myself to account for every single week and there should be no reason why corporate managers haven't set up their own KPIs that they know are going to help them get success that are working them towards their goal so an example being is I need to speak to for example 10 of our prospect clients every week I need to do a podcast every week and it's it's either yellow, red or green. Have I done it or haven't I done it? And then I have to opt up to my exec meeting and say, oops, I didn't do that last week. I'll focus on it. I'll make sure that I get that one done this week. So yeah. I would encourage all your managers to build their own KPIs that's going to help them achieve what they want to achieve and achieve for their team so that they can't miss that coffee that they should have had. And, yeah. and I think sometimes too we go a little bit, oh, we went and had coffee. And that's great, but what was the objective of that coffee yeah. and did that person get out of it? what they should and I will always say to people now when I have a meeting with them I know we've got 30 minutes and I know you're incredibly busy when I walk out of here what do we need to have achieved for you to feel like you got value from this 30 minutes and even just asking that question the person's blown away but they then generally give me exactly what I need to do to make Mm -hmm. to impress them or to give them what they want and they're going to be much more inclined to work with me or to, you know, develop a relationship with me because I've put that out there in the, in, in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, we already spoke about some of the consequences that companies or managers would experience in terms of the cost involved by, by uh, 
by hiring the wrong person and not onboarding them. But what are other consequences? Like uh, mm. I would say like the reputation management because the reputation of the company, like what are Look, the other consequences? There's a lot. Um, so there's obviously if we talk about recruitment, there is mm. the expensive cost to replace and yeah. the likelihood if, if you don't change what you put in, you're not going to change the outcome. Yeah. So if we keep doing the same things, it's going to happen again. Um, often this means you're unable to achieve your overall business plan and strategy or your team, your department's business yeah. plan and strategy if you don't get the stuff right. And you can go out of business at the yeah. extreme level. But also, you know, as um, individuals, I know that we want to do the right thing. And I think that in particularly in my space now, Caroline, there is some big change. You know, there's some big fines for getting it wrong. And I think people have the perception that's okay, the company can get fined. Well, you're right, the company can get fined. For example, um, if you unfairly dismiss someone, the company can get fined. It could cost them up to six months salary and or reinstatement uh, for the individual, which is expensive. But oh, yeah. if we think about a breach of the Fair Work Act where you knowingly as the manager knew someone was being underpaid and you did nothing about it, you are now personally liable for that. Wow, I didn't to the know tune that. Of, yeah, to the tune of up to $12,600. So if your organisation is doing the wrong thing and you knew they were doing the wrong thing and you chose to stay quiet about it, you are now personally on the hook. So, you know, that I, I think, you know, especially in my space, I, if I have a client that's doing the wrong thing, I actually have to walk away from them now. I can't service them anymore. Yeah. I don't have to report them. It hasn't gone that far, the law, but I can't continue to work with them. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of consequences. And I think the main one is I am a great believer that if you could do three things better, hire better, manage better and exit better, your business is going to do better. Yeah. You're going to be more profitable. You're going to be more productive. Um, and so, and life is easier. You know, I have a friend who said to me, running a business would be so much fun, Natasha, if I didn't have employees. And I, <laughs> and I know she's not alone. A lot of people feel like that. Yeah. A lot of people um, think that about their, their people that they manage, you know, they, and they're often not skilled. So the other thing that I would do is encourage learning, you know, do great reading, make sure that you read extensively on your subject, make sure that you're continuously improving your own skill set beyond yeah. what the company's prepared to send you off to training. And I think that's one of the sad things I've seen is that when the global financial crisis was coming, training budgets got cut severely yeah. and they're still not back to where they should be. And I think that we are uh, getting the impact of that downstream now where we don't have highly skilled people it's a very tight applicant market it's hard to hire great people and it comes back to starting way back when when we didn't invest in our people and for you know they don't necessarily have the skills or attributes that we need in for, for now I, I I definitely agree I agree with that Natasha but I also think it is like the 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 responsibility sometimes of a leader he, him or herself uh, to actually further educate themselves because like I'm just like my 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 brain is thinking about like how many people there are that are lacking certain uh, managerial skills because you said like they hire, manage and exit. So manage is of, of course a big part of that. It's like how do I show up as a leader? And 
I think people think it's like you've been born with a special gene or something that you're being a leader mm. just naturally, but that is so, so not the case. And people don't understand that it's some, a skill that you need to develop yourself. And it's, yes, it can be the company respons responsibility, but if you want to take on more and more people management responsibilities, then it would be in your own benefit. If you want to achieve your tar target, if you want to lead high-performing teams, that you actually step up and, and educate yourself if you feel that that is lacking in, in, in your experience. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the books I'd highly recommend is um, a book by a guy called Derek Gaunt who wrote How Ego and Authority Impact Your Potential and it's around leadership um, and it's around the skills. And I think, you know, it comes back to that basic relationship skills, you know. Yeah. We need to get better at understanding the people that we're working with and working out how we can get the best out of them and get the best out of us and work together for that. It is such an interesting topic, like building trust, building relationships, because everybody that I would speak to says like, yeah, yeah, I can build relationship. I'm a great internal or external stakeholder manager. Like that is something that I'm really good at. But it's only one side of the coin. I'm curious, more often if you talk to other people, if they have the same perception of that person, if like, because it's not because you think you're good at something that that is really the case, basically. Yeah, and I, I don't think we're very good at asking for feedback on ourselves. I think, yes, we have some formal processes, the 360 that we do. Yeah. However, again, I would come back to, you know, if you're working with one of your team members, I would say, you know, a simple one is, what do you want me to do more of? What do we want me to do less of? And what would you like me to stop doing? Yeah. And so that you're continually evolving how you work together and and when you ask it that way it's much easier to ask them for something as well yeah um, you know what I need from you is this yeah. um, and I think that it's around having those difficult conversations and I still think people avoid them and people mm -hmm. aren't comfortable having them uh, and you know I think we sometimes need to be vulnerable in order to get more out of a relationship so I have a question. So if you have a, a leader or a manager that actually at the moment says like, look, um, okay, I, I'm, I'm aware I've done things the wrong way, but I have now a team. Like how can he or she start now rectifying their relationships and start building that trust and building that relationship again? What would your advice be like how to start from scratch? One would be to start with an apology. Uh, the second thing would actually to be bring out every negative thing they're thinking about you. I know you think I've let you down. I know you think that um, I've not done the job that I'm being paid for. I expect you think that uh, you can't trust me anymore. Get all of that stuff out of the table. Yeah. And, and what you're waiting for there is to hear that's right. In other words, yep, I have absolutely said everything horrible that that person is thinking about me. Yeah. And you've effectively cleared the air there. And then then go in with a little, would it be horrible for me to share with you how I think we can move forward? Or would it be silly of me to share how I think we can move forward? What I'd like to suggest is we do this and then yeah. get their feedback on that, you know, yeah. ask them what they think or ask them what they think you need to do to move forward yeah. uh, even better. Um, and I think, you know, 
uh, we're not very good at apologising. We're not very good at uh, uh, saying we did something wrong. Um, and you know, doing <laughs> not without that, getting defensive. <laughs> exactly, and doing that can go a long way to to getting the right results. Yeah. So um, to recap, it would be like to apologize, to acknowledge what you've done wrong or what the other person might mm. be thinking, whether that's right or wrong, that doesn't matter. It's like what the other person is thinking. Exactly. And then the third per thing would be setting c certain expectations in terms of, okay, can we move forward from, from here on? Is, is yeah, that that's correct? exactly right. So what you want to do is, is it seems like it looks like it feels like. Mm. You're not saying you agree with that and that's the power of putting it that way, but you're acknowledging that that might be how they look or feel. And yeah. if, they, if you get it wrong, and sometimes you can put a wrong one out there just to get them to correct you, never underestimate somebody's willingness to correct you. <laughs> Um, and you find out all sorts of information, but what you want is to put that out, uh, yeah. you know, it's for them to acknowledge that, yes, you've summarized that well. Yeah. Uh, and then once that's been cleared and they feel like they've been heard, you're going to have a much greater chance of sort of going, okay, well, how would we like to move forward? Yeah. You know, what do we need to do to move forward? And it's still no. going to take time. There's not an instant fix. You've no. got to follow that up with doing the right thing day in, day out. Now, like uh, to go through such a process, it can be quite intensive for a manager or a leader. Um, so what do you suggest that they look for to as support? Great question. Look, in corporate, there's EAP programs and we can chat about mental health because I think that's a big issue. But, um, but in terms of day-to-day -day support, I'm a great believer and I've had a mentor since I was 18. Mm -hmm. um, and I would encourage any leader to surround themselves with great leaders and to watch and learn from them, mm -hmm. uh, but also potentially to identify a mentor that they can learn from. And often you'll find the mentor relationship, and I'm still talking to my mentor and she now mentors me and I mentor her. So the relationship has evolved over the years, um, which is really good. But I think, you know, using people who you admire as a sounding board, you know, test out what you're thinking of doing, get them to say, is there anything else I'm missing or is there anything else we could be doing here? Uh, we'll start to give you some support. Um, as we touched on, being a leader can be an extremely lonely place. Um, mental health is a big issue. The statistics at the moment are one in five people within the Australian workplace. So this is a really important one for those who are managing a team because if you've got five in your team, it's very possible that one of them is going to suffer from a mental health condition over wow. the next year. Now, what I'm determining as mental health conditions in this frame are uh, anorexia. That's actually quite big in, in legal firms. Uh, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and even yeah. potentially suicide. Yeah. Now, of that, though, statistic, we actually think that's moving closer to one in four wow. the next time they do the results. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on here. There's a lot of people feeling very lonely. Anxiety is the biggest issue um, mm. and then closely followed by substance abuse and depression. But it varies from male to female where the, the levels are there. But the serious issue that we've got, Caroline, is that only 35% of people who are suffering from a mental health condition in the workplace yeah. will actually get treatment. Wow. So the, the impact of that is that they're much more likely to have a, a deeper episode or a follow-up episode because they haven't got any 
um, medical assistance through that. And it's one of those situations where people are very feel very awkward about having that conversation and we actually yeah. need to have that conversation. The are you okay? I highly recommend six of our team plus me did mental health first responder training yeah. and we are finding we're getting a call a week from a client where they're trying to help someone. Uh, mm. Sadly, one of our clients last week experienced a suicide of one of their team members. So this stuff does happen. We can't ignore it. The best thing we can do as a society is try and intervene earlier so that we can help people and get them back to work. And very yeah. many cases, they all come back to work, you know, but uh, it is a big problem and we need to be have comfortable having that difficult conversation. And I think like there is a big part that companies can play in, in, in making sure they have not only like the, the right prog programs in place, but also communicate about those programs. Yes. Half of the employees don't know they, yes, they know they have a HR person, but they don't know what that entails and what, what's available for them as employee support if they're going through a tough, tough time. Yeah. And they're too embarrassed to often also uh, say something. I remember that um, the organization I worked for, they had like um, an anonymous like line that employees could, line. Yes, yep. could call to, to. And uh, the stats were uh, like uh, terrifying how many people actually would take up that offer. So it was just like, uh, uh, because it wasn't all only for the employees, it was also for their families. Yes, so. it's a fabulous thing. An EAP program uh, is, and it is confidential. No one will know that you called. So I would encourage employees that have that, and often they get four to six sessions in, in that they can use without any cost to them or their family. And if we think about it, you know, you've got one in three first marriages in, ends in divorce, one yeah. in two second marriages. We've got 38% uh, of Australians wow. at the moment are feeling financially stressed. 38%. Um, and we've got, you know, teenagers with, um, as, uh, well, this is the scary thing and this is another stat for you. One in three Australian girls at the moment are suffering from anxiety and 35% of them will get treatment. And guess what? Those girls are going to be in the workforce in the next two to 10 years. Yeah. So that problem is just starting to snowball and we need to do more about it. And so um, I would encourage anyone who's got an EAP program don't be shy about it. Ring up. Often. We get our team to use it because often we're involved in tough disputes and, and sometimes some nasty investigations and our team will use it to debrief, you know, yeah. on, on that experience. And it's important that we offload that stuff, that we let it go. Uh, and that can be a very helpful way to do that. Exactly. And I think also the stigma needs to get away from, uh, needs to be taken away from uh, a manager to be able to um, not talk to, to the team specifically to, I, I think you need it, but more like ma making them aware that that is okay because we spend so much time at work. And often you see, if a, you, you can notice if a colleague is not doing well and making sure that they know the right support and that they're comfortable in in and knowing that their organization or the team or their boss is supporting them instead of shying away from it because i think like a lot of people just try to um to go, yeah trying to not see it or ignore it because they just don't know what to do with it yeah and and these problems won't go away we do need to as a society you say destigmatize mental health it's yeah. just like any other health condition but i would suggest people be much more comfortable having a conversation with someone who's got cancer 
than they would with somebody who's got depression or anxiety. Yeah. Um, and it is starting to be, it is starting to change, but we've got a long way to go. Yeah, exactly. My God, yes, definitely. So to wrap it all up and to make it <laughs> mm. concise, like, okay, um, what are the top three things that you would want to, to, to reflect on or to share or to highlight again that we have discussed because we have discussed so much during this episode. So what, what are the three keys that you would want the, the audience to take away? Yeah. Number one, mental health in the workplace. Uh, yeah. It's around us all and we actually need to do something about it. And um, I would encourage anyone who's got some concerns about a team member or a colleague or a manager to reach out and get some support. That would be the number one. Number two is to understand your costs. So understand what it's costing you uh, to not hire well, to not do a great um, orientation, uh, to not understand how to interview or to not exit well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's the the second one. And the third one for me is around, I think just generally let's look, let's look to improve our skill set. Let's not rely on others to drive our training. Let's drive our own training and our own personal development and agitate or more training to be better um, and and invest in yourself. If, if your organisation isn't prepared to do that, it's a really good investment because you take those skills with you. It doesn't matter if you leave that employer, you will always have that skill set and, and hold yourself to account. You know, I think that that last piece around have your own KPIs yeah. and uh, work out how you want to measure your own performance so you actually yes. achieve what you want to achieve. Exactly. Don't wait around till others make the decisions what your KPI should be, even if you don't see that your KPIs are really truly aligned with the outcome because sometimes they're not really aligned. Nope. <laughs> um, make sure to set your own to actually measure your, your, your success uh, in your job. Perfect. So thank you so much. Where can people connect with you and find out more and work with you, basically? Yeah, yeah. So uh, two websites. One is employeematters.com.au and the other one's natashahawker.com. Um, mm-hmm. I've written a book called From Hire to Fire and Everything in Between, which is available at all good bookstores. It's on Amazon and Booktopia, or you can download a very cheap version uh, from our website. And that's a great tool for business owners, but it's a fabulous tool for managers who yeah. want to understand how they need to manage their employees to get the most out of them, but also understand and the employee relations framework for which they're managing and for which they're liable. Uh, So that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Perfect. I will link it all up in the show notes also so it's easy for people to click on it and to actually like explore and find out more and connect, connect with you. Thank you so much. I learned so much talking to you. Uh, and like I said in the beginning, it was an honor having you on the show and thanks for your time uh, that you, that you spent with us. My pleasure. Let's help our clients and let's help our managers build employee assets and not liabilities. Perfect. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye.